Good morning, everyone. Just a reminder, uh, next Sunday is Christmas Day. Saturday night is Christmas Eve. So we're going to have uh, service at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, 11 p.m. at Christmas Eve, and then 11 a.m. on Christmas Day. So that's kind of like what we're doing for the Christmas uh, services. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for each person that's here. I'm thankful, Lord, that we're a week away from Christmas, Lord. But uh, most importantly, that uh, the meaning of Christmas is is uh, to bring salvation to all people, Lord. That you came in human flesh to uh, live amongst us. And we just pray, Lord, that, that um, as we study today about this next attribute, Lord, that uh, your name is glorified and we're inspired to uh, live in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in our five-week series studying five attributes that only God has today. And today we're going to continue with this. Only God is omnipresent, which means God is present with his whole being at all times. So many people say it like this. They'll say God is everywhere. And this is true. But unfortunately, it could be misunderstood because there's something called pantheism. Some of you might have heard of this. And that is the belief that everything is God. So they go to the mountains. They're like, the mountain is God. The trees are God. The sun is God. The moon is God. So we call that pantheism. It is actually false teaching. That's not what the omnipresence of God actually teaches. So then we have to ask the question, so what do the scriptures teach about the omnipresence of God. Well, the first thing that the scriptures teach us is this, that God owns creation. Now this flies in the face of pantheism because God is not the creation, right? God is not the creation, but God owns creation. So here's what happens in this passage. Moses reminds the people of God's lordship over everything. So it says this, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Now, people have different beliefs about creation. People have different beliefs about creation. Some believe it happened by chance, right? Some believe it, you might have been taught this in school, it happened by chance. Some refer to creation as mother nature. Have you heard this before, mother nature, right? And, and she is taking her course. Now, some look at creation and realize there must be some sort of higher power, and they don't agree that it's the God of the Bible. So what they do is they say things like the universe. So something happens in their life, and they're like, the universe was with me, right? The universe kind of did this, or the universe shined its light on me. Well, let me tell you the trinity of things that do not have the capacity to care about you. Chance, Mother Nature, and the universe. There's no capacity. The no, there's no capacity for chance mother nature or the universe to care about or to be intimately involved in your life. Well, let's look at why. The first is chance. Okay, chance is basically false teaching because it is, it is, in fact, if you believe that all this can happen by chance, that meaning all creation can happen by chance, you actually have a lot of faith in luck. Because the probability, one chemist stated that the amino acids, now I don't understand any of this stuff, right? But that the amino acids ever combining to form the necessary proteins to create would be 10 to the 67th power. Okay, that's like 10 with 67 zeros behind it. 
That's the probability, okay? Is anybody playing the lotto on those odds? A lot of you are actually, but um, <laughs> if you play the lotto. Next is mother nature, okay? This is the misunderstanding that the natural course of things that God created is actually personal. The natural course of things is actually personal. So let's look at Psalm 19, which is actually a great reminder that God created and then put the creation into motion. Let's look at what it says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now, some might be confused by a passage like that because basically it's like creation is personified. It's almost like calling your boat or a car she, right? People do that. You realize it's not, actual, it's not an actual person, but it's understood that you're talking about the car or the boat. So in this psalm, it's understood that creation is not an actual person, but what creation actually tells us is there must be a creator. Okay, so day to day, like every day when you go outside, when you see the sun, when you see the moon, when you feel the cold, when you feel the heat, something about that should communicate to you that there is a creator. Actually, Romans chapter one actually says, because we all see that, there is no excuse to not admit that there's a creator. So the next part of that uh, passage goes on. It says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing, nothing hidden from its heat. So basically this psalm describes the order of creation. The reason why we have seasons, the reason why every single day begins and ends, sunrise and sunset. And if you look on your phone, right, some of you go and you're like, oh, what's the weather going to be like? And you see, but then you also see things like sunrise, sunset. And those things we can count on, right? Weather, we really can't count on. We don't really know, like, I mean, even the weathermen can, like, predict, but they don't really know. But things like the sun rising and the sun setting, the moon rising and the moon set, day to day, that's why when anytime there's something that kind of deviates just a little bit, like it'll be February and it's going to be 70 degrees, everybody's like, what's going on, right? But the truth is, God put this into motion. Okay, he sent this tent of the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And it's like a strong man runs his course with joy. The strong man, you can't stop. Okay, it's going to keep going. Okay, God set mother nature or creation into its course. I love observing creation. I love the ocean. I love the sunsets, the moon rises, the natural beauty. Many people do, but they start to look at those great forces and think, Oh, this must be in charge, or this must be what's in control, which brings us to that last final one, is the universe. Many people attribute what's going on in their life to the universe. This is a very pop culture thing right now. They believe this is the force that's calling the shots. The universe was with me. The universe blessed me. The universe is going my way. Well, Hebrews 10, 13 actually talks about the universe. 
It says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by God. Was created, excuse me, the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So first this verse states the universe is created. Since the universe was created, it doesn't have the power to call the shots or will anything. Okay, the universe doesn't have the power to call the shots or will anything. The agent of creation is God spoke it into existence. This goes back to Genesis 1. God said, right? God said, God said. God speaks the creation into existence. And some say, well, this is like impossible. How could this? Well, things that are seen were made out of things that were not seen, that not they are not visible. This is where our faith has to come in, right? This is where our faith has to come in. And, you know, some will say that's a lot of faith to believe that. It's like, okay, is it less than the chance? Is it less than the chance? You know what I mean? So, like, here's the thing. We have faith that this is true. We have faith that God made what is visible out of what is not visible. We know that there's a God because of creation. We can detect God's activity involved in it which brings us to the attribute of omnipresence again. Next, because God is omnipresence, it reminds us that God is actually here. Now, this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the people. He says this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord. See, here's what God's doing here. He's firing off a series of questions through his prophet Jeremiah saying, listen, okay, listen to me. I am here. Like it or not, there's nowhere that I'm not. You can't hide. There's no secret places. I am here. Now, there are two sides to this, right? There's two sides to this. The first is what this passage is getting to the heart of, and that is God is there even when you don't want him to be there. Think about this for a second. God is there even when, and you're thinking, when would I not want him to be there? And the rest of you are thinking, well, there's a few times, okay? <laughs> when you're straying away, when you're sinning, when you're doing the wrong thing, when you're desiring something sinful, a sobering reminder is God is, he's there. You can't hide from him. Last week, we learned about God's omniscience. He knows even our thoughts. God is there. No matter what you're planning, what you're conspiring, what you're doing, God is there. He knows it all, but he's there, right there. The positive side of this is God is there, right? God is there. When things are not going well, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, when you feel like there's nowhere or no one to turn to, God is there. He's there. When there's no human agency that can correct the problem that you're having, when there's no real solution in your mind, God is there. And really, he has to be because that's his attribute. He's omnipresent. Which brings us to our next reminder, and that is this. God sustains life. It says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things 
hold together. Now, more specifically, Paul is actually, this is a New Testament passage. Paul is talking to the believers in the church in Colossae, and he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying he's before all things, and all, through him all things hold together. So for whatever reason in that church at that time, some might have been doubting. Like, So was Jesus, when he was born, you know, the Christmas thing, when Jesus was born, was that like the first time we see him? And the truth is, no, he was before all things. Jesus came to the earth. He wasn't born like you and I were born in the sense of we didn't, we didn't exist before we were born. Jesus was before all things. So he's specifically saying, listen, he was before all things. He is God. And through him, all things hold together. So the truth is, if God ceased to exist right now, we wouldn't exist either. Okay, we wouldn't exist either. He holds all things together. Now, the truth is, it doesn't matter if someone believes that. It's still true. Okay, so people will be like, I don't believe in this God. You know, you guys worship and Christmas and all that stuff. It doesn't matter if they believe that. I mean, it matters as far as salvation. But the fact that he sustains all things, that's true for everyone, everywhere. So what does God's omnipresence mean to us on a daily life? This is where we get to Psalm 139, which we started off with last week when we were talking about God's omniscience, meaning God was all-knowing. But now David goes into Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, and he really talks about how this omnipresence impacts you and I on the daily, in, in our daily lives. So it goes to this, God's omnipresence in daily life. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? So now David is starting with this question. Is there anywhere that I can go that you're not there? Is there anywhere, God, that I can go that you're not there? It's kind of a rhetorical question. It's being asked for effect. The Psalms are poems and songs. So some of these things are for effect. But the answer is that there is nowhere. So David goes on in his answer to give us three things that God's omnipresence gives us personally. And the first is this, companionship. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So let's kind of break this down. First, David's saying, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. Do you agree with that? God's in heaven. Okay, yep, yep, I agree with this. Okay, but what about the Sheol thing? This is kind of weird, right? The Old Testament uses the word Sheol for hell. So some suggest that God is in hell as well, and the justification for that is that he is the one that institutes punishment. So they'll reference this passage. I'm not going to get full-on theologically into this, but I have some theological problems with that. And that is because the presence there is not supported by other scriptures. So when you find a scripture, something like this, and it makes you scratch your head, what you have to do is you have to look towards other scriptures. So what I do know about God's presence is in Revelation 21.3, when the new heavens and the new earth are created, the dwelling place of God is with man for eternity. Jesus teaches about hell as outer darkness. So those are just two issues. And later on, we're going to see that in God, in Christ, there is no darkness. So I have some problems with that. So then we have to ask ourselves this question. What's David saying here? What's he saying here? Well, because it's a psalm, because it's poetic, because it's a song, I think that what David is saying here is this. You are with me in my highest highs and my lowest lows. 
God is there in my highest high and my lowest lows. He is my companion. David also talks about this companionship with the Lord in the very famous psalm that many of you have probably heard at a funeral, right? Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, God is there in our low times, isn't he? He's there. Sometimes as believers, we only feel like he's there when things are going well. But the truth is, he is always there. He's our companion. He is there in our highs and our lows. And sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes in our lows, that's where we actually find God. Right? Because we start to look around and we start to find no comfort in anything else or anyone else. And we're down so low that the only place that we can look, and you've heard this before, right, is up. We start to realize, oh, he is there. He is for me. He loves me. Which brings us to the next thing this psalm talks about, and that is guidance. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You know, I've taught a lot about going to God in prayer, going to his word for guidance. But do you realize that God guides you even when you're not asking him to guide you? Do you realize that God guides you even when you might run from that guidance? We have a great example of that in the account of Jonah. Remember back in the Old Testament, Jonah, some of you learned in, in Sunday school, and like the big idea for Jonah, right, when you were in Sunday school was, don't get swallowed by a whale, right? So here's the truth of what happened with Jonah, okay? Jonah was a prophet of God. He was asked to go to the evil people of Nineveh to tell them to repent, to turn away from their evil deeds, or else God's going to put a hurting on you guys, okay? Because you're not going the right way. Jonah hated them, hated the Ninevites, didn't want to go to talk to the Ninevites. He didn't say this in the beginning, that why he didn't want to go, because we find out at the end of Jonah why he didn't want to go. But the reason Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites is because he figured if they listened and turned from their sin, that God in his mercy and love and compassion would spare them. So he was like, I don't want to give them that message. I hate those people. Nice guy, right? So he jumps on a boat, flees to Tarshish. Okay, basically at that time, they thought that was literally the end of the, like you couldn't get any further. So while Jonah's on the boat, what happens? Storm comes and even the heathens, even the heathens are like, well, this storm is for some reason, who's responsible for this? Okay, why is this happening? So Jonah's like, it's me, chuck me overboard. So he gets chucked overboard and guess what? God in his guidance and love and protection has a big fish or whale come, swallow Jonah. Jonah spends three days in there, right, right, praying and contemplating because what else is there to do in the belly of a whale? And he starts to realize, okay, God, I get the picture. I get the picture. I'm supposed to do this. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to do this. So my question for you is look at your life. Maybe you're not seeking guidance from God, but through circumstances in your life, God is actually guiding you. God is actually guiding you. Maybe it's by way of an issue or problem you're having. Maybe it's something you have no real control over, but it's an issue and problem, and it's kind of like God saying, 
Okay, I'm talking to you. Maybe it's one of those wake-up calls where God's saying, hey, listen, you know what? You've been doing your own thing for many, many years now. But what you need to do is you need to turn to me. You need to do things my way. Maybe it's a consequence for some sin that you're living in. Do you realize there's natural consequences for our sins? Sure, when we trust in Christ, all our sins are forgiven, but that doesn't insulate us from natural consequences of the things that we're doing wrong. And basically, it might be some sort of discipline from the Lord of him saying, you're not looking to me for guidance. You're going and doing what you feel like doing. Well, guess what? Things are not going to go the way that you want them to. Things are not going to go the way that you think they should because I know what's better for you. So I'm going to work my plan in your life. See, in that issue or problem, God may be guiding you to follow him. Which brings us to our final thing of omnipresence, and that is blessing. Okay, blessing. He says this, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. You know what? God is light and in him there is no darkness. The blessings that we see are like seeing God's light. You know, that's why we put up lights at Christmas time, right? Because it's a reminder. I mean, now it's like a cultural thing and stuff. Not many people are like, oh, yeah, that's why we put up lights. We, as Christians, put up lights because we want to shine the light. That's why we did our light show, because we want to shine the light. We want people to see the light of Jesus. You know, James says, every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. You know, we as American Christians, we, we, we're blessed, right? And we have a problem because we're blessed, don't we? Our blessings, we, we never thank God, or sometimes we do, but we never really, really thank God until we're exposed to something that we see. Man, like, you know, if, if your health is bad, and then when you get better, you're like, oh, thank you, God. But then you're better for like two or three months, and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, this is what I expect. Okay, you, you don't wake up and say, thank you that I'm healthy, Lord. Thank you that this is going. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that I have food. Like we forget all those blessings because we expect those blessings. But those blessings is because of God's presence in our lives. But truly the biggest blessing that God the Father gave all people is what we really celebrate this week or coming into this week. The birth of Jesus. The birth of Christ. John chapter 1 proclaims the blessing of Jesus coming. And he also deals with God's omnipresence because this is really a, 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 an illustration, an example of how we see the presence of God dwelling with us. So it goes on. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So that's telling us God is here. Hey, God is here. And I love what John does here because he's really going back to Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning, God was. And do you remember how God created everything? Through his word. He spoke it into existence. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So now John is talking about this word as if, as if it's a person. So then it goes on. It says, all things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. God owns creation. Remember that? God owns the creation. We don't worship Mother Nature. We don't worship the universe. We don't worship chance or evolution. We don't worship any of those things. We worship God because he owns it all. So then it goes on. Oh. Then it goes on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God sustains life. God sustains life. In him was life. He's talking about Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Now, when we think about that very first Christmas, like the darkness that the people, there was 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, between the time that Christ came. And now all of a sudden there's this light. So then we jump down to verse 14. It says, and the word, remember we were talking about this as like if it was a person, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So now what John is saying is Jesus made himself present with us. Made himself present with us so we could see the glory. The purpose of Jesus coming was to save us from our sins. To give us the light of salvation. Because now we see the manger and the cross, right? The cross is symbolic and it reminds us of the fact that we are sinners. And Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, Christ rose from the grave to prove that he can conquer sin. That he can conquer Satan. He can conquer death. So the, the scriptures teach us this. All who believe that will have eternal life. We receive the light, so to speak, of salvation. We receive eternal life. We're put into the presence of God for eternity. So God is, in fact, omnipresent. And Christmas is an example of that attribute of God. Not only the, the real, but the possible, the, the actual truth that he has come, and we celebrate that at Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for each person that's here. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come together and worship you, but most importantly, we're thankful that there's nowhere that you are not, that you are present, that you are sustaining our lives, that you are Lord over creation that you've come to this earth to show yourself so we could see your glory and receive your salvation. We're so thankful for this day. Lord, we pray a special prayer this week as we ramp up into Christmas. There's a lot of stress, a lot of things going on, a lot of uh, responsibilities that we might have, Lord, but I just pray that we rest in it. I pray for us as as many of us have unbelieving friends and family members that might be interested in talking about things of faith or, or coming out to church, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in them, that you would help them to see who you are and what you've done this Christmas. And I'm thankful again for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.